0: Hello and welcome to episode 19. This is a recording of the Heartland 2018 Best Practices keynote address Eric and I gave on October 10 at St. Peter's Lutheran here in Columbus, Indiana. This program is an hour-long special program to get the full session. Um, Next week, we will return to our 45-minute format as we interview author Dr. Susan Lockwood, who is author of the upcoming book, Kick to the Curb. So listen and enjoy.
1: Revealing Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers,
0: We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts.
1: I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing revealing voices. Voices.
2: So let's pray. Father, we thank you that sometimes you reveal yourself in ways that if we were to write the script, we would never write it. And yet through um, sometimes pain and sorrow and brokenness and confusion and helplessness, it is then that you step in and reveal yourself in ways that we never otherwise would have encountered you. And so I thank you, Father, for the gift of Tony and the gift of Eric and for their journeys and for how you have used their journeys to speak into the lives of others. Holy Spirit, you know each of us and where we are and and, and what's going on in our hearts and our guts and our minds when we even use the, the words mental illness. So we pray, O oh God, that you would remove any obstacles that would hinder our ability to hear and to receive what you want to plant within us. And may you use this now, Lord, for our benefit and for our blessing and for the benefit of others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at the video.
0: What does healing mean to you? We can experience healing without having to look or feel the way we did before. Once we can really have some true recovery, and I mean really true, you know, where it's like you really know yourself, that can serve as a barometer for whether or not we need help, much much sooner.
2: I think healing comes in right action, so that righteousness, right? That very churchy word to use, um, but that right action that we do to one another, to the rest of creation, and to God. Healing is is the place where I'm at. I'm healed. Um, I live with the daily dose of medicine of psychotropics and the daily dose of medicine from the word God.
1: I think for me, healing is movement back towards being whole movement, back towards who you were created to be.
0: If your recovery means you can leave your room and eat dinner with your family, when you were too paranoid to do that for five years, then
1: you are healing. If you can go through life and you can contribute and have made a difference, If you can function in a way that you can be there for your family and your friends, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: then you have it.
2: When we can take a little bit more of a deeper breath in God and feel that God's presence is with us and will always be with us. Being willing to be put through change, to be uncomfortable, to be willing to keep moving even when it's hard.
0: And it's not always about like, now I'm good. Mm -hmm. It's more about like, how did you get there? So I think the healing is the process and finally being like, you know, this is who I am. To me,
2: healing means it is immediate, like Jesus in the Bible healed. When those times come, when they're able to live on their own and to work and to smile, for me, man, there's a level of healing there. But it's
0: not something I produce. It's something that God gives us
1: mm-hmm. and that we participate in. Tony, for me, healing is about being restored into community. What does healing mean to you? O Lord,
0: may the words of our lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our rock, our redeemer, our healer. The question, what does healing mean to you, is more than just an emotional one. It's more than just a question for people who are mentally ill. It is a question that all of us must ask ourselves as we go about our lives. We are whole people. We are people with minds and bodies and spirits, and we long for healing. At the beginning of each episode of our podcast, Revealing Voices, we asked people to answer that question, what does healing mean to you? And we provided cards for you, and during our presentation, if you feel so led to jot down what healing means to you, then please do so, and we'll have these cards to place, if you would, on the table in the back. Today is World Mental Health Day. October 10 each year is a day where we celebrate and become more aware of the needs of our community, our world, in relationship to mental health and mental illness. The theme this year by the World Health Organization is young people and mental illness in a changing world. And the World Health Organization on their website, I encourage you to check it out, notes several things about adolescents and young people as things they face today with respect to mental health. The first that struck me is that in those who are at some point in their lives diagnosed with a mental health condition, fully half experience symptoms before the age of 14. And also, currently, the third leading cause of death among teenagers is suicide. These are very radical facts and it is cause for us to wake up to the reality that those around us especially our youngest children and those who are in the pews and in youth groups have deep emotional spiritual psychological needs i want to share a little of my story and then eric will his story as well i was blessed to have a solid family background and yet I experienced mental health concerns at an early age fortunate for me I had the encouragement of family and friends and coaches and teachers to press through them and I was largely silent about the struggles inside of me even though I was experiencing symptoms that later would be diagnosed as bipolar disorder I was blessed to be able to press through that and continue on in my journey I went into ministry and served in pastoral ministry for 20 years and during that time had several challenges that I faced with respect to mental illness and excuse me. Let's go to the next slide. Along the way, as i served in pastoral ministry i became aware that the challenges that i faced were too great to continue to be a pastor and yet i felt god's call on my life to be in ministry and so after serving for 20 years i wrote a book a spiritual memoir called Delight and Disorder. And in this book, I journey through the years of my mental illness serving as a pastor. The challenges that I faced, the joys, the ups and the downs, the difficulties of being a pastor, a husband, a father for, and someone who had a severe mental illness. And I try to juggle that with the person of faith that I am. I wrestle with the fact that I have a dual identity as a Christian, even a Christian leader, who has a severe mental illness. And I was able to, in the course of my journey, come through this.
1: Thank you, Tony. Tony spent 18 years in pastoral ministry, and I, I've spent a zero. So I, I have not spent as much time talking uh, from a, in front of a sanctuary before. But Mark, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, so we're talking best practices today. And I just want to start by saying I do have bipolar 2 disorder. And part of uh, the best practice that we're sharing today is uh, peer recovery, which means uh, folks with a mental health diagnosis, pastoring, ministering, and serving alongside others who have a diagnosis. Okay, so that's a very important thing to just share right at the beginning. Um, Tony shared a little bit about er early onset teenager, um, some of the struggles he had. Uh, I also had struggles as a teenager. I moved here to Columbus, Indiana, Uh, when I was a sophomore, middle of my sophomore year in high school, and it was a very, very difficult time for me. Went through some uh, serious bouts of depression, and was eventually uh, diagnosed when I was 18 as a senior in high school. Um, So we both have experience, that's 20 years for me at this point. So Anyway, fast forward, want to talk about my book a bit and and how it's relevant to my ministry. Uh, In 2008, I don't know how many of you are from Columbus, but in 2008 we had the worst natural disaster in our city's history. We had a massive flood and our hospital that sits on Haw Creek was out of commission for three months. And I had just started working at the hospital at that time um, I was month, uh, one month into being divorced. Uh, a lot of that was precipitated by a very difficult uh, struggle I had with depression uh, a year earlier. Uh, so there was a flood. I had been divorced. I would moved back to my folks' house. It was, it was a dark time for me. And my response to that flood was, I'm going to help out. I'm just going to help. and and see what I can do. And so uh, I do have a a history degree from IU, and and through this very intentional, very purposeful dedication to serving others, um, I was put in a place where I had a lot of um, experiences, and I decided to write a book that is titled Watershed, uh, Service in the Wake of Disaster that was both a disaster of uh, my personal life that really crumbled uh, before that, as well as a natural disaster that we had experienced in the community. Uh, today, I have a, almost like a philosophy, and I do want to call out Keith Weedman. I think he's in the audience here today. He's one of the presenters like, later this week. Keith really helped me to understand framing my own experience, And so I took this idea of watershed, of a a point in time where really a decision is made and and your life can go one way or the other, and developed this thing I call watershed philanthropy. Okay, and philanthropy in the sense of uh, loving your fellow man uh, in the way I would say that Christ loved us unconditionally. So uh, for me, watershed philanthropy is really uh, a philosophy uh, of my life where I make uh, the conscious choice to love unconditionally as best as I can. And that really started about 10 years ago, and despite mental health struggles I had since then, it really helped push me in the direction of ministry and into uh, meeting Tony Roberts uh, a little over four years ago. I'll sit down. Tony? so i want to raise a couple
0: things that came out of that the first is related to our unique diagnoses some of you may know that bipolar is varies a great deal and as eric pointed out he has bipolar 2 and i'll let him share a little bit about that for me i have bipolar 1 with rapid cycling so i can go in the span of this session <laughs> to uh, having abject despair to ecstasy and, uh, uh, and then back again. Um, and Eric? Well, yeah, f-
1: for me bipolar too is mainly expressed as depression. I can say I haven't really had a, a major bout of depression for about four years. Uh, it's often set on by uh, insomnia. Uh, But uh, as far as like um, mania, I really only have one identified uh, manic period in my life. Uh, The rest has been if I have really severe symptoms, uh, it would be a a depression. And and one other thing I I do wanna say about mental illness, I I really think of it as a uh, a spectrum of mental health. Uh, For the vast majority of my life, I have had good mental health. I do have a diagnosis, and when the symptoms are severe, it does lead into an illness. So I think that's an important part of the way I think about mental health, and I'd like for you all to consider thinking about also.
0: And I want to also highlight our therapeutic methods have also been very unique. I'm an off-the-scale introvert, so therapy for me has been writing. I go in my basement. I write, I process my thoughts, I write some more. Uh, And to me, writing my book, writing my blog has been my best form of therapy. Eric's very different.
1: Uh, I like to serve. (laughs) I like like being on my feet. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, if you go to
0: the next slide. Along the way, we have prayed together. Eric and I met when I first did a uh, presentation, a book signing at the library of my book in March of 2014. And God brought us together, thanks in part to Brian Blair, who wrote an article featuring the book signing and then eric and i got together for coffee and we agreed we were at difficult periods of our lives and we agreed to meet weekly for coffee and prayer and just see what the lord had in mind for us not really knowing what that would be so we would walk and pray and make notes and just unwind and look at scripture And over the course of a nine-month gestation period, (laughs) um, we conceived of a group called Faithful Friends. And we had a lot of help in doing this. We later recruited other leaders. But before doing that, we looked at what other groups were doing around the country. We looked especially at NAMI, uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness as well as a group in washington state which is uh, david zucker is a mental health advocate out there and he runs a number of of groups at uh, university presbyterian in seattle if you go to the next slide so these are our guidelines Um, these are things we read every night near the beginning of the meeting this is just the highlight of them, one word highlight, they actually have sentences that explain what we believe in, what we do as a group to make things productive and helpful. We want the group to be safe. We are a peer led group, meaning that we all have a diagnosis. We're not a clinical group. We want to make sure that no one is diagnosing or prescribing um, or giving advice. Uh, We are a referral group. We refer to churches, professionals, NAMI. Um, We are a wellness group. This was something we felt very strongly about. We're not just a group to sit around and complain about our lives. We want to have something where we're aiming for good wellness in our lives. We are faith-based. Eric and I both felt when we conceived of this that we wanted to bring together the best of what we experienced inpatient and and, in churches at Bible studies. Uh, And not many groups were doing this. Uh, Very few in the world bring this bridge this distance. Accountability, we have a strong emphasis on accountability. We set uh, attainable goals for each other and we check in with each other. Confidential, we want it to be sure that we don't talk about each other to others and also that we don't talk about people who aren't there. Uh, The leaders, do have the exercise to check in on people and we talk among ourselves in case there's a need for intervention. Fun. We don't operate as a strict clinical group, so we do have social outings. We encourage people to have coffee and um, just have fun. We laugh and cry at the same meetings. Inclusive. We are a Christian group, but we don't exclude people of other faiths or no faith at all. The way we put it in our guidelines is that we offer Christ-like hospitality to all who wrestle with mental illness. And finally, responsive. We list the leaders and contact numbers, and we have the ability for those who provide their information to, to reach out to each other.
1: T- Tony, one I actually didn't get up there was a respectful group, which uh, in, we do have a couple of sentences to describe each of these in our guidelines, and in the respectful one we say, uh, please don't use your mobile phone, which we've never really had a problem with that, and mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty awesome. Next slide, please. So we're here to talk about best practices, and Tony and I decided we really wanted to focus on on our own ministry, our own experience, uh, and at the end, talk about some other uh, ministries we know of, but we really wanted to focus on faithful friends. And so this is our agenda, uh, which is pretty close Uh, to what we set out four years ago. There's been a couple changes, Uh, but the first thing in the best practice is we meet every single week, right? I'm sure some of you all have been in groups that meet maybe every other week, maybe once a month. You miss one session, you might go a month, maybe even longer before you're in the group again, and it's really hard to have cohesion and connectivity when uh, you're not meeting once a week. So we've been meeting once a week since November of 2014. Uh, we meet from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, every night, same location. And this is our agenda. We open and close in prayer. We have announcements that are um, established by the leaders uh, at the beginning of the meeting. The guidelines are what we just um, Read what Tony just talked about. We always uh, read through all of those, and then we have one that we highlight and read the whole, whole like, couple sentences that describe what it really means. Right? Uh, introductions. Uh, we go around the circle, uh, say our first name, and then have some topic. Uh, last night it was, "What is your favorite furniture?" And I said it is my grandparents' dining set from Tell City, Indiana. It's got the leaves you can take in and out. Go seven piece, nine piece, it's pretty nice. I, I work in the furniture business, so <laughs> anyway. Tell City, Indiana furniture is very nice. Uh, so we introduce, then we have a scripture lesson. Uh, we have four leaders and we establish kind of a leader and co-leader from those four for every week. And then the the leader for that week picks a scripture and a wellness topic. Uh, So last night, it was uh, Psalm 139, which I am very bad at verbatim scripture, but it's being uh, knit in the womb, and and that's that's that scripture. I'm sure some of you all know that one. Uh, And then the wellness was uh, 31 days of self-love. So... um, that's what we did last night. Uh, we have really a different wellness topic every, every week. I mean, it, when you really think about it and study it and, and want to dig into wellness, it goes well beyond a uh, fruit smoothie and yoga and massage. I mean, it, it goes way beyond that if you really think about it. I, I did miss accountability check-in. Really important, Uh, we actually referred to a SAMHSA document, which is a federal uh, Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, a federal agency, and they have a thing called uh, Whole Health Action Management. And it's basically assets-based development, right? And so every uh, three months, we establish new Wellness goals that are based on this whole health action management structure that we, you know, borrow from SAMHSA, and so it's uh, kind of the smart goals, um, specific, measurable, um, attainable. attainable, attainable. We we even talk about micro goals. So I set goals for myself like uh, do one push up a day you know, uh, read one verse of scripture. There was one
0: where someone was having trouble cleaning their room, so they set a goal of actually going to the room and sitting down, (laughs) not cleaning, just sitting there. Yeah,
1: we call them micro habits, and you can have a goal that's that small, and the idea is, uh, you know, you could say, my goal is to walk around the block seven days a week, and no one ever does it, ever, and you fail. It, you know, But if you're like, I'm gonna walk around the block one time a week, and you do it, and like, I did three this week, and like, wow, I tripled my goal. So we really try to set it low, and, and that was actually really uh, very explicit in those SAMHSA guidelines. Like, if someone sets a goal, like, reduce it by 40, 50%. So that was good. Anyway, we set those goals once a quarter and then we have them in a binder and then we'll select a few people who are there and just say, hey, uh, accountability check-in, how are you doing walking around the block once a week? You know, going great, that's awesome. Um, After the wellness discussion, we have a minute of gratitude. That's something we added a little bit later on and it's just a moment of silence, one minute of silence and uh, we just prompt people to think of something that uh, you're thankful for, uh, a minute of gratitude, and that really sets the tone for that time of sharing. Right, so right before you share, you've gone through a wellness topic, and then you've had this moment of gratitude, so it really sets the stage to not make it a complaint session. I mean, sometimes people do, and they need to, but but we want to set the tone of uh, optimism, health, healing, Uh, so there's open sharing that's normally about half the time, about 45 minutes. And then we have a closing prayer where someone says they'll start and someone says they'll finish. And then we have kind of a popcorn prayer thing in the middle if anybody else wants to share. So that's the agenda. One thing I want to stress that
0: Eric said is that this has been weekly for four years. But if it were just me or if it were just Eric or even the two of us, we never would have been able to maintain this. Mm -hmm. Um, Eric and I worked hard at the beginning to support one another and even the two of us, it was becoming unmanageable to be there. uh, With mental illness, there are weeks that I can't get out of bed and have to call Eric at the last minute and say, you need to pinch it, you know. And now, when I made the commitment to be closer to my children in New York, we then recruited four leaders, right? hmm And they worked together, and, and now we, the slide you saw at the beginning is Diana um, Van Starkey, or- Yeah. Yeah, and- um, Kim, Graves, who are co-leaders?
1: I think it's important to mention, we talked about peer recovery, right? Having that peer-to-peer connection. Uh, we are blessed with Tony having 18 years of pastoral experience. So when we talk about best practices, I don't want to give the impression that you couldn't have like, a pastor on your team as one of the leaders. I think that's absolutely helpful and, and necessary. Um, In some circumstances right
0: okay next slide out of this when i came back from new york um, eric and i had both been praying about a new direction faithful friends was well underway we were getting the help we needed Uh, we wanted to continue that but we also felt like god was leading us to extend this ministry beyond faithful friends beyond columbus and eric had long uh, been a fan of podcasts um, i had to have him show me what button to push that said podcasts so i had never listened to one but i was a quick study and we did uh, again we spent many weeks in prayer and months preparing uh, had a, a fundraising campaign where people came alongside us and help us get the equipment we needed uh, did uh, a lot of prayer as to what the content would be began to contact uh, people who could come on the show as interviews, and um, you can see that this quote, as a Christian, I need my faith to promote my well-being. As one with a mental illness, I need mental health care that functions with my faith. Revealing voices brings the two together as healing partners. And that's really our goal. Our guest, Pastor Taiki, has been a guest. Uh, We have We have pastors, we have um, professionals, we have people who live with a mental illness. We, have, we had a, a person in human resources uh, talk about discrimination in the workforce. Uh, we've had art therapists. Um, just about anybody who has this dual awareness of faith and mental illness and how we can work together to promote well-being.
1: Yeah, so I uh, I listen to some podcasts at two times the speed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like chipmunk mode. <laughs> the news mainly, you know. I gotta get the old news in my life. Um, yeah, so revealing voices. We started March first. Uh, we've released an episode um, every other week on Thursdays. And it, it's gone really well. Tomorrow we're releasing episode 17. Uh, we have the president of an organization called Minds Renewed, who will be um, able to be listened to tomorrow uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, what can and I say about say Revealing that, Voices?: uh, Yeah.
0: They are archived at revealingvoices.com, and they're available on iTunes and some of the other gathering places, right?
1: Yes. We, we have a website, revealingvoices.com. We have a blog there, and all the episodes are, are kept there. It's been a great experience. I, I've really enjoyed this. And as Tony said, as far as a best practice, I don't know if it's like a practical thing, but uh, getting mental health and faith resources aligned is what we need today. When you talk about 20 to 25% of the population having uh, a diagnosis or, uh, you know, symptoms on a semi-regular basis, um, it's going to take everybody coming to the table. And so when we were, you know, crafting the show, uh, the rhythm of the show, we came across, you know, the question we asked ourselves, what does healing mean to you? And we said that's the perfect question because... From a faith uh, perspective, you may have a very different um, take on what does healing mean than you would as a psychiatrist. right? So it really encompasses both um, massive fields of of support for those who have a diagnosis. And we've gotten a vast number of responses to that. Uh, The audio that played at the beginning of the session That was all of the uh, intro responses to what does healing mean to you from our podcast. So, uh, I want to thank Mark Tyke for coming on uh, to our show and uh, talking about uh, his passion for supporting ministry, uh, about all the great things that St. Peter's here is doing with... um, uh, outpatient services, uh, celebrate recovery, those sorts of support services. Um, Also talked about some of the role uh, the church is playing with a thing called uh, Alliance for Substance Abuse Progress in Bartholomew County in dealing with um, addictions, um, opioid epidemic, that sort of thing, overdoses. So again, Pastor Taiki, thank you for all you're doing, all that your church is doing, keep up the good work. We're, we're very glad to be able to help in any way we can. So uh, that's Revealing Voices.
0: I uh, want to highlight too, it's, you know, Faithful Friends as a whole, it's kind of like theater. You know, in theater, when you write a play, you get to see firsthand how people react. Uh, Revealing Voices is more like writing a novel. Um, You write, and people read, but you never, you rarely hear back from them. But now and then, we've been able to tap into what is going on. Um, I put out among my Facebook friends a request for, in a messenger, uh, a request for the response, what does healing mean to you? And I got back from someone in our community who has remained silent uh, about her own struggle, but how she had desperately struggled with postpartum depression and how she hadn't told anyone in her faith community, had barely revealed this to her husband. But she listened to the program every week and found a, a lot of encouragement by that. Uh, so when you put out an episode I don't know how you feel Eric but I mean I feel good that we've accomplished something but it's it's always nice to hear back from people
1: oh of course yes and, and the the intersection of faith and mental health again is what we're really trying to build you know and edify um, and we will in our additional resources talk about one other podcast that, that's doing the same thing it just good to see um more of these kind of resources coming about yeah so
0: those are the things we are currently doing lord knows what lies ahead but we want to focus on those things Um, and we recognize in our searching that there are other groups other individuals doing um some good work in other parts of the state other parts of the country and we've gotten to know them a little bit um, and i think the next slide is the resources slide yeah so there's a video first of all there's a lutheran foundation in fort wayne um pastor Tykey mentioned this they uh I, just one quick f- uh fact and then we'll watch a 90-second video but um, the um, Dennis Goff, who is the director of that foundation, said that this happened when a hospital that was owned by the Lutheran Church was bought out by a large hospital consortium, and they designated the money to the foundation, and they did a study on how much resources, how many funds were spent on different facets of healthcare healing. And only 1% was spent on mental health. And as a uh, corrective measure to that, they have formed an emphasis on mental health. I'm going to call an audible here. And uh, um, these are resources. We'll leave them on the screen here. Um, And uh, just briefly go through them. We won't Feature any of them, I want to allow a little bit of time, we've got about 8 to 10 minutes, right? And turn it over to you if you have anything for us to add.
1: One thing I do want to share from the slides. So Mines Renewed, the Stability Network, and INAPS are all uh, what I would call networks of people, right? Minds Renewed is uh, a lot of faith leaders and clinical providers that wanna come together and have a website that is a go-to website for uh, anyone's questions about mental health and try and make it as regional and local as possible so people know where to go when there's a concern. That's Minds Renewed. The Stability Network is an organization that's really coaching uh, professionals uh, to be able to share uh, mental health uh, and advocate in the workplace and in organizations and to really work on uh, reducing stigma. Then INAPS, I wanna share that. That's the International Association of Peer Supporters. I have mentioned peer recovery a couple times. And what they're doing is trying to lift up the profession of peer recovery specialist, and this is very important, and i I've, I've shared this with Mark before as a big prayer of mine. Uh, a peer recovery specialist is really right now part of a like mental health the mental health care system, and it's still very young in the development of it as a profession, but it's Folks who have a mental health diagnosis who are employed by mental health care systems to work with clients and share their own experience, you know, how they stay healthy as a person with a diagnosis. So, a big prayer of mine is for that same sort of role to be embedded in churches, right? So, there's peer recovery specialists in faith settings in christian churches in ministry who can have that uh, you know very explicit role of hey i have a mental health diagnosis and i'm here to pray with you to walk alongside you to help you understand how i've healed and maintained my um, my health
2: so i just wanted to say that
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think we're
2: so we want to give an opportunity for questions Uh, And what I find is sometimes you have to prime the pump, so I'm gonna prime the pump with the question, and then you can be thinking of any other questions. So um, one of us who are here discovers in six months that our son or our daughter or our brother or sister has been diagnosed with a mental illness. Um, Or uh, as a pastor, director of Christian education, worker in the church, um, a family comes to us and says, um, our family has just received this diagnosis. These might be some of the places that you would point us, but how would you coach us uh, when we have learned that a loved one uh, has just discovered this, um, or somebody in the congregation comes to us and says, we don't know what to do?
0: Well, I think again, the two-pronged emphasis, and we didn't put them up, we should have, but NamI, National Organization, or National Alliance on Mental Illness, is the secular wing, and they have such things as family-to-family support. So people with loved ones who have mental illness and just been diagnosed, they can go through support classes um, it's a little more difficult with our faith communities isn't it i mean you have to find the right person that you can trust and also if it's a loved one who has the mental illness you don't want to violate their confidentiality Uh, in my case in eric's case we can tell people our stories but if it's someone you love you don't know if you have permission to tell their stories. So it's a, it's a very delicate balance, but I do think as faith leaders, we need to make it more inviting uh, by praying for people with mental illness, by having sermons about mental illness, by offering support groups, uh, just by making it more like a physical illness.
1: Right? So the thing about the onset of a a diagnosis is it can be very isolating, right? So the, the very moment where you need the most support and love also happens to be one of those moments where as the individual suffering, you isolate. A lot of that is due to stigma. Right. So as someone who receives that uh, information, you know, my son has just been diagnosed, I I think it's facilitating community around that person. And it takes a lot of, you know, matters of confidentiality depending on on the situation. But I I think in, in the mind of the person wanting to help, you have to ask yourself, how can I
2: build community around this person? So one of the things that we have done here is that we've begun in our congregational prayers, sometimes when we offer up prayer for the sick and hospitalized, we'll pray for those who have cancer, those who have heart disease, those who are dealing with diabetes. And Lord, we also pray for your healing for those who are wrestling with anxiety or depression or schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. And we name them. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the first times I did that, I had somebody come to me. And uh, this is not normally a part of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, or our experience here. And and a woman came to me who felt an overwhelming sense of uh, just of refreshing. And I'm not saying that her mental uh, illness was healed, but God really did something when she just heard those words. And they were very affirming to her that she mattered and that God cared about her in this illness that she was keeping to herself because of mm-hmm. stigma. Uh, what questions do you, those if you have a question, I'll get you the microphone. I can move relatively quickly still, so please. It's not so much a question as a comment. I th- you've mentioned diagnosis a number of times. And I think in some communities and some areas, that area before diagnosis also is as much in need of support um, as after the diagnosis, before anyone knows what's wrong, but there's something wrong, there's something going on. And that's frightening to not know what it is that's happening. Mm -hmm. I think some of these same resources can help with that.
0: Absolutely. Can you guys speak to your comfort level of going to secular
2: um, help? Because I think a lot of times people are looking for Christian help because they're afraid um, of going to secular circles. Can you give some guidance from your perspective there? I would
0: say that the thing I've found in my journey and I've been in and out of therapy for a good 30 years mostly in um, I do not find it necessary to see a Christian therapist or a Christian counselor but I do test right away if they are both conversant with and respectful of my faith Uh, I had a therapist who in the first introductory session when I was sharing my faith language, which is natural to me, said, "Mm, I think faith is uh, cognitive rigidity. So I left. (laughs) I I didn't bother to finish the session. Uh, So you can tell pretty quickly. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to things like psychiatrists, if you are holding your breath to see a Christian psychiatrist, Good luck. I mean, there just aren't many psychiatrists out there anyway. And if you're holding forth a faith litmus test, do you do that with your surgeons? I mean, do you only see Christian surgeons? Um, Therapists is a little different matter, Mm -hmm. um, but you need to use discretion.
1: So I I have always been in secular settings to receive like a formal you know talk therapy but my most recent therapist was a Christian in a secular setting and he is the only man who has ever prayed for me in in counseling and that was really more led by me uh, because my knowledge you know, of his faith background, and that was the most supportive therapy I've ever been through. It's not to say that the other therapists were not as good, but I think it is helpful to have that alignment, but it's not necessary. And I I do wanna, you, you had a comment, that was a great comment, and you're right, a diagnosis should not be when the door opens to, you know, building community around that person. It's more about being conversant and understanding of what an elevated symptom is like. And when you see those elevated symptoms, that's really more of the trigger to say, oh, let's find a way to build that community around this person who, who is suffering, regardless if
2: they have a diagnosis or not. So, Thanks for that. One of the things I think that we can do in our church is something that we've done here, is that we have made those kinds of resources available in newsletters or win the local Family to Family. if um, This is a a great thing that is offered through NAMI, um, and they offer in our community what's called uh, Family to Family twice a year, or they attempt to anyway. And it is a 12 or 13 week class uh, for uh, loved ones of the person with a mental illness. And it's very informative, it's very insightful, Uh, um, And so we publicize that. Whenever that's coming up, we publicize that a month in advance and three or four times so that people know about that. Because, again, people normally aren't going to come to us and say, Pastor, uh, our son has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, But we know that a lot of them are dealing with that, so we try to publicize that as well. Uh, Also, we've shown a couple of videos within worship. NAMI has some good videos, 90-second um, videos, two-minute videos that talk about you know, depression or anxiety or other kinds of mental illness, and they give some resources. So we don't do a sermon around it, but it's just kind of an announcement. And if this applies to any of you, uh, we want to encourage you to take advantage of that. So there are just little things that we can do to make that information known to our congregation because they will not come beating our door down to ask for that because of the stigma Mm -hmm. so we need to take the step in their direction to say here's some resources for you other questions
0: there's one over there
1: uh... hey you guys mentioned that
0: you're doing this in this area in columbus indiana are you familiar with groups such as these being uh... Like, are, what are the chances it's in our, our area, wherever we're from? And have you worked with people to start groups like these other places? You know, when we first started Faithful Friends, we looked hard for a model that would bring these two worlds together. Um, and there aren't many out there. Um, like I said, there's one in Seattle, University Presbyterian, uh, there's there are more emerging Texas, Baylor is uh, at the forefront of church yeah, mental that, health that's ministry. the Mental Health
1: Grace Alliance is probably the most sophisticated kind of model that is being used in churches across the country the mental so health what Grace we did Alliance. is
0: we looked at both Christian and secular models and if you where do you come from? Florida. Florida. Okay, there's probably something in Florida that we didn't, you know, become aware of. Um, you know, hopefully Minds Renewed is going to really get off the ground. They have ambitious goals, and if they reach them, they will be a one-site uh, clearinghouse for those kinds of information. So keep an eye on Minds
1: Renewed. Yeah. So Minds Renewed, I mentioned, their president is actually gonna be on our podcast tomorrow. And uh, their goal is to have a consortium of 12,000 people who come from the faith and mental health worlds. And then to create the sort of clearing house that is vetted and, and to make that website a great place to be like, oh, I'm in Florida. My son is struggling with a mental health issue, and, and that will be a place to go. And they even wanna have navigators who would help guide you to the resources as locally as they possibly can. That, that, that's, I'm guessing they're probably a year off or so. And, and one last thing, as far as being a part of the consortium, Right. Uh, Bob Mills, the president, said to let people know if you go to MindsRenewed.org and go to the Contact Us uh, part of the website, you can actually apply to be one of these 12,000 people. And, And, you know, he definitely welcomed folks today to consider doing that.
2: We may have more to share with you a year from now. We are here actually considering, we're contemplating the possibility of a part-time staff position at St. Peter's um, to serve individuals and families who live with mental illness.
1: Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review.
0: Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices.
1: Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com.